I'm Natalie Walton, and this is Imprint, a podcast about creating a home and life you love. Each week, I'm here to share with you some of the biggest lessons I've learned during my career and life. Some of them I wish I'd learned a lot sooner because they would have saved me a huge amount of time, stress, and even money. Many of these ideas could have accelerated my journey as a creative and business owner. I also feature interviews with inspiring creatives, entrepreneurs, and experts to help you focus on what's most important in your life. Today, I'm going to interview designer Elise Piotr Bolzak. Before we start today's episode, I want to share with you something exciting that I've been working on. As you know, I'm a big believer in making our homes the best that they can be, whatever stage we're at on our journey. How we do this is central to my books, This is Home, The Art of Simple Living, and Still the Slow Home. And so I've turned this 10 steps on how to make a home for my first book into an online workbook that you can apply to your own home. So if you'd really like to create a place that you can love today, then go to nataliewalton.com to receive this free workbook. I hope that you find it helpful and it sets you on the path to creating a home that you truly love. Just go to nataliewalton.com to download the free workbook. Okay, back to today's episode. Hello everyone, I hope that you're well. I'm very excited to share this week's interview because Elise is one of these people who, when you meet her and when you speak to her, such as I did recently, you leave that conversation or that moment feeling so inspired and uplifted. And she really does have this beautiful soul and beautiful energy. And I just, I always feel so good after speaking to her and she really taps into her own authenticity and what's true for her. And she really lives her life on her own terms. And I hope that you feel that too. And it inspires you to tap into that, whatever it is for you. I first met Elise when we, uh, that's Chris and I, Chris Warns and I, we were commissioned by House and Garden magazine to photograph our home for when she was living um, at a place that she called the church, which was on the Hawkesbury River. And Chris and I met Elise and Pablo and their beautiful daughter, Lulu. And actually, her, Elise's parents were staying there at the time as well. So we met them. And um, they're just such a, an amazing couple. They really live life on their own terms. They're so creative in everything that they do. They create these amazing homes and really just, just do things, like I said, on their own terms. Then when I was creating my book still, The Slow Home, at the same time, I saw that Elise and Pablo had moved with their family, uh, mainly Lulu, to France to be closer to Elise's family. And just to see how that this house was unfolding, it just looked like an incredible journey. So it was very exciting to go and meet them again, but in this entirely new home, this incredible home, which we document in the book. And... Um, we had an unforgettable experience. It was actually the hottest day on record in France that day. It was over 40 degrees. I think it might've been 45 degrees, maybe even higher. And we were all so hot, but we had so much fun together and it ended up with a swim in Elisa's parents' pool. And then we went out and had these incredible oysters for dinner afterwards. And it just was one of those experiences that I will never forget. So as I said, I feel like that really embodies Elise, that she is one of those people that you never forget. 
and I hope that you enjoy listening to her incredibly thoughtful and heartfelt answers to this interview. So enjoy. Elise, thank you so much for joining me today for the Imprint podcast. It's so nice to see your face. We're just doing this via a video recording. And the last time we met was just over a year ago, nearly a year and a half ago in France, when I photographed your home with Chris Warns for my book still. So it's um, so lovely to see you again. It's been a while. Um, and I really want to, I mean, to be honest, I was hoping to do this interview in person in relation to do a book tour and all these things, but obviously COVID had other ideas. Um, so we're just going to have to do it remotely for now. And I'm really excited to share your story. So we're going to get straight into it because you're a busy woman. I know you've got lots on at the moment um, with your brand, Maison Balzac, which we'll talk about in detail as well. So first of all, I like to kind of start with your childhood and if you were creative in any way and how that manifested. So can you just share a little bit about your story? Yeah, so hello, Natalie. I'm so happy you asked me to be a guest because, yeah, we usually see each other in homes and we were together for a few hours to style, you know, my interiors. Uh, but it's the first time we're going to go in depth and with, uh, yeah, with my past. So thank you so much. And look, I think the everything I do is based on a very happy childhood that I had, extremely happy, extremely loved. I grew up in a small village in the south of France. There was 2,000 inhabitants in that village, so everything was nearby. There was a sense of community that was very strong. And my entire close and extended family lived in that village as well. So a, feel, a sense of security and warmth and familiarity that, uh, yeah, that just always made me feel uh, secure and surrounded by people who knew me very well. So a childhood based uh, around nature as well so we were surrounded by the sea by vineyards by the sky and both my parents are extremely into nature so we would spend the weekends looking at baby mouses in the bush or uh, collecting hurt birds by the side of the road or raising hedgehogs as well giving them a bit of uh, you know a, a egg yolk and milk and bread and so always nurturing nature respecting it loving it and so the surrounded by smell and colors that forever had a big impression on, on who I am. But also I think you're born with uh, creativity or not. And I was definitely born with it. And just to give you a, a little story, when I was four, my mom put me in kindergarten just a few days a week. And the first day I went there in the evening, the teacher asked to see my mum, just the two of them. And my mum thought, oh, no, what has Elise done? What's wrong? She was quite scared. But the teacher said, look at what your daughter did. And literally on the A4 piece of paper, I drew this, the shell of a snail and I divided it in little section. And every section was colored in the way, in the pattern that was sort of um, very organized. And it was so tidy, like I didn't go across a line once. She said, I've been teaching for so long. I've never seen anything so tidy and so organized and and so my mom was like oh if that's what it is that's fine that's okay i'll take it it's brilliant and so yeah that snail story i feel like it defines who i am i like things 
um, I'm quite minutious and and so that started from a very early age so yes I was creative and my childhood was extremely happy yeah and so did you have then when you started to go to high school and I guess those later high school years did you have any sense at that point what you wanted to do when you kind of grew up or you know left school no, I didn't. And for a long time, I really wondered what I would do in my life because there wasn't one thing in particular. I was passionate about a lot of things, but one common thread was literature and stories. I've always loved narratives. I love telling stories. I was writing writing poetry and I guess because my family name is Balzac as well which is um, you know it's it's such a strong name in literature because Honoré de Balzac was a famous French writer so I always had always had this uh, idea that by default I should be good at this and I actually really enjoyed it so I studied for four years literature and Latin, ancient and modern French literature, and I really loved diving into writers' stories and um, knowing what style to use when you want to emphasize an idea over another one. Um, but then when I finished those four years, I thought, okay, what do you do with a, a degree, a master in literature? And so by default, I became a primary school teacher. So I, I dived into the, the route of becoming a, yeah, and a young kids teacher, but that lasted one day. So I studied for two years. And then on the first day, I looked at this class, they were all expecting me to be this very confident and great teacher. But all I wanted to do was to study fashion and to teach them how to paint. And so I realized that it was, it was the wrong place to be. So after 24 hours, I resigned. And then, but that's only because in my pocket, I had the letter of acceptance for one of the best fashion schools in the world in Paris. It's called Institut Francais de la Mode. A French Fashion Institute and the at that time they only took 20 students a year and I was one of them because I went to Paris had the interview and I was so chuffed to be taken so then I had to convince my parents and they said look we don't really think that fashion has got a future but if that's what you you want to do we'll back you up and the first day at school at that fashion institute I knew I was in the right place and so I always feel, I want to say to everybody I know that when deep down you feel like you are out of place, it's for a reason and you should always look for the right place because there is one for everybody. But I couldn't believe that was actually uh, a school and I couldn't believe I was taught what they were teaching me. It was all completely natural. It was like drinking milk. It's a French expression, du petit lait, which means it felt like I was in heaven from the first day and so I graduated I had my master in fashion and textile management and then from there it just went into Maison Balzac after 20 years of working in fashion it was all meant to be that was the right path for me. Yeah and what about then in those I guess early years in your career in fashion did you have any mentors along the way that you really kind of got that sense of how you want to work your like your process or how you create or how you show up or do you know what I mean like did you have anyone like that or a, yeah. you know, a couple of key people oh yes 
Yeah, no, I was very, very lucky at the after my graduation. I was the only one in out of the 20 students who had a, a job, like a full-time position offered to them. And that was at Hermes at the head office and to work in the press office there. So first for menswear and then for um, women's wear that was designed by Martin Margiela at the time and the team there they were the most extraordinary woman woman sorry and my direct manager her name was Sophie Sebel she's still in the in the Hermes house uh, and she was an extremely fair person very organized she was always so polished but not stitched up you know it was always very chic but um <laughs> um, it's my daughter with her bell ringing that's okay. <laughs> that's um, and she I remember very clearly I think it was a week into my my first um, yeah my, my first week and on the Friday one of the courier lost a parcel that was meant to go from us to this magazine and then I said to Sophie look I, I don't know how it happened maybe I got the address wrong let me check and then I actually made a mistake and I said but look you can call them up and blame me because I'm really the one to blame and she looked at me she said no we're working as a team it's not your fault it's our fault and she picked up the phone and protected me and said exactly what happened and just that culture of not blaming anybody and to work as a as a proper team was it just in a moment it clicked that's how things should be and so I felt very comfortable and everything was like that there for four years I learned how to um, how can I say to do things not only in a fair way but also in a very uh, logical, intelligent, um, efficient way. And there was always room for people to have ideas as well. So nothing was stuck in in place. And, and I guess also I find that um, my good star placed me there because it was like going to a professional school to show you exactly how things should be done. And uh, when I created Maison Balzac eight years ago, I remember that my values and how I wanted it to work was exactly how I was taught um, in 2000 when I joined Hermes. So it established the base of how I want things done for in my professional life. Yeah. And so what were some of those foundations that you wanted to create when you created Maison Balzac? What were well, sort of the you know, important elements that were really, you know, like the foundational elements? Yeah. Well, because when I started, I was by myself. The brand was more about the values and the spirit and the future than the team because there wasn't one. But what I was adamant about was to create a brand that had a genuine story that was based on facts. You know, Hermes was created in 1827 by the Hermes family. And I thought, okay, well, my story is starting in 2012, but it's going to be based on my childhood. And the big values are the love of nature, uh, the love of family, the love of quirk, a certain French style. And I remember writing all of this down and thinking, well, if I get lost in eight or 10 years, I just have to look back and these are the foundations. So, and I still have that piece of paper. I don't know where it is right now, but it's still <laughs> part of my desk. I know somewhere if I need it. I haven't needed it yet because it's extremely clear in my mind that a genuine story um, is is the foundation. And then the way Hermes every year was creating was to announce a theme that 
would be the guide for the 14 body product categories. So that would be from, you know, horse, horse objects to perfumes to shoes, jewelry, fashion, uh, silk, all the, the categories, all the artisans, all the managers of these area had to work with in mind that theme. And the years I were there, the theme was the Mediterranean or the hand, the hand behind the makers or, um, and so I've decided to do the same with my brand, even when it was just myself, that I had a theme per day, sorry, per year. And this year, the theme was a dream. And so these are the kind of way I structure my business because I saw it working over there and I thought it was a very beautiful and honest way to move, to move forward and to give your vision to yourself, but to the people who work with you. Yeah. Okay. And so I guess just stepping back a little bit. So you were working in fashion and then you came across to Australia and you continue to work in fashion with, I think it was Belinda stores. What yep. precipitated yep. that decision to actually go out and create your own brand and not in fashion really, was it? Yeah, exactly. Well, I think after spending uh, 12 years in fashion, I was really used to that cycle that was uh, getting faster and faster and faster to the point that there used to be two collections and four and six. And I was um, a bit upset by that acceleration of time and I felt like I was never present. I was always either looking at figures from the past to understand what worked or looking forward for the buying for season plus one, plus two, plus three. And I felt like the present was escaping me. And so I decided to still stay within a creative field, but to drop the seasonality. And I feel like in homeware, a pink glass doesn't belong to any season, doesn't belong to any year. I like the timelessness that was behind that. So that's why I actually dropped fashion and dived in headfirst into homewares or fragrance to yeah to have a very long term and to have time to develop things without a deadline. Yeah, and, and what about what actually precipitated the idea to create Maison Balzac itself? So you, did you want more flexibility or freedom or was there an itch with inside you that you wanted to have your own business? Because that's a big step, creating your own business and brand. That's true. You know, I uh, yeah, I ask myself the question many times and um, my parents always had businesses. They had fashion stores and then they had holiday homes and they always had ideas. My dad would pretty much wake up every day with another dream or another idea and both of them were always looking forward to the next a brilliant uh, concept or and so me and my two brothers I think we grew up surrounded by a, a fertile imagination but we also saw them make things happen with their own will and determination with their savings and then being successful so I, it was ingrained in me it's almost not a question I asked myself it was it was meant to at some stage start my own thing and I've always had um so many stories in my head that I wanted to tell. And when you work for a brand, I'm such a loyal person. When I was working for Belinda, even if she had done 
um, good or bad, or how can I say right or wrong, I would back her up because it was my duty, like a little soldier. Same for Hermes. Even if you disagree with certain aspects, you know, you, you put on that Hermes suit and, and you go to battle for them. And so I wanted to go to battle for my own dreams and stories and ideas. And I didn't want to do this for anybody else anymore. I was 36 and I felt like, um, yeah, it's a funny thing that uh, like an appointment I made with myself, my parents were 36 when they changed career together uh, at the same time. And so all my life, I had this golden number in my head that 36 would be a turn turning point. And when I started Maison Balzac, I was 36. It's the year I got married. It's the year, year I fell pregnant. Every you know, every important category of your life, which is work, private and family, changed that year for the better. Yeah. And so now, so how many years um, has Maison Balzac been going? And I guess just to try and get that sense of its, its journey, the journey of the business and how it's evolved and how you've evolved with it. Mm -hmm. So I started at 36, I'm 44, so the business is eight years old. And sometimes when I lose track with time, I just um, look at how old my daughter is. She's seven and a half. And so basically the business and my baby were born at the same time. So it's an easy tracker. And I evolved in so many ways. Um, I was by myself for the first two to three years doing everything, which is necessary. I think anyone starting a business should actually handle every aspect of it and not delegate. Because then when you have to give direction, you know exactly how you want it to happen. And, and, and people know at least you're not dreaming of something that is not realistic. You've done it yourself. I've labeled candle, I've poured a candle, I've blended perfumes, I've, you know, packaged glassware. But then after three years, it was just impossible to continue at that pace because I was exhausting myself and I wasn't any good anymore because I was exhausted. And so that's when my first employee came on board, Laura. And then now, can you believe it? Uh, we were actually three for a long time up until two years ago. But then two years ago, I think we reached another step in the business where things are really growing and, and speeding up and accelerating. It feels like we've reached a momentum or a certain pace and a recognition worldwide that um, there's so much demand you won't believe it but in the last six months we've quadrupled the team so now we are 12 people and um, and i have to say that to have more people has been um a bit violent because i'm such a a human person and I love to give and I love to share and I would love to every day spend my time with the 12 because they're my babies and we're all heading in the same direction but it's very sad that I actually have don't have time to do this anymore and um but so yeah I have to adapt to the new size of the team and the amount of products as well we're selling and but I have to say like I've got I'm so in touch with every single aspect of the business with just the help of people who are actually better than I am. <laughs> so I feel very fortunate to have this incredible little troop um, next to me that is just um, helping me as well to become a better 
manager and I'm learning along the way uh, because I never wanted to be a business director. I only wanted to draw snails and ladybirds. And so you have to adapt to things. And my resources are other business owners. I go online. I ask my parents a lot. There's such a, and they always say, you know, we're always here for you and they're 18,000 kilometers away. But any question I have, any, they think of things, they send me drawings, advices, um, presence you know i feel so supported by them and my team that i yeah i'm i'm in such a good position i've never been happier in my whole life that's so good to hear um do you think there was something in particular that then just accelerated the growth of the business or you know because i mean i guess there are so many people like in particular listening to this podcast who might have an idea for a business or they might be in those early stages of creating a business and I guess we're all kind of looking for that, like, what is going to help? Like, what do I need to focus on to actually help the business grow and get out of those early years where you kind of feel like you're just doing it all yourself, like you said? Do you think it was just a matter of time or were there some strategic things that you did or what are your insights on that? Yeah, I have to say that it felt it was only an, a, a time element. It was a natural progression. I was always about organic growth. I have never had targets or projections of where I wanted to be. I took it very easy um, because, like I said, I'm such a hard worker that every job I had in the past, I would give everything all the time. And for the first time with my business, I thought, okay, I'm going to give everything. But when I feel like it's too much, I'm just going to slow down. And so I was never um, forcing myself to go to the point of breakage, of break. And I've always taken things uh, naturally, slowly. And then even with that, without trying to push or like good things happen naturally and you attract the right people. And I think if you are consistent, it's consistency that was the key with me telling my story again and again and again, pursuing my taste and my um, achieving all my creative dreams feels like then you generate a group of people who want to follow what you're doing because they're either like-minded or they they admirative or but I don't know what it is, but then you're creating this, it's like a new world, a new cosmogony of yours. People follow you and then it just goes like, it spreads like... And naturally, I feel like I felt it at three years when I had my first employee. Then I felt it at five years when um, we started to gather a lot of interest from international people. And then and then I moved to France when, when we saw each other uh, about a year and a half ago. And that gave me another perspective on uh, what I wanted out of the business. And, and that's when I realized that I had something so precious happening in Australia that I needed to be there physically. And so I think since I returned a year and a half ago, I came back with a fresh motivation, fresh energy, and maybe more clear-minded because I took the time to walk away from it on a geographic point of view. I was still working in the business every day, despite all the time zone, you know, uh, dilemma and all of that. But to, yeah, to go back, come back with that refreshed energy was definitely also what happened a year and a half ago that pushed a business where we are now. 
Yeah. And one of the things that you mentioned at the start was you said that um, your brand has this element of quirk. And one of the things that I've always um, admired about what you create in your homes, but also with Maison Balzac, is that it really does feel different. You know, it really does have this point of difference. I think we live in a world where there's so many brands, it's never been easier to set up an online shop or a business or a brand. And yet I, I truly believe that the ones that really push through are the ones that are created with a sense of authenticity and that sense of the personal is really embedded in it. And um, is that something that you've had to sort of do deliberately or like, I, I guess I'm just trying to understand how you understood what your style was and why you should share it because lots of people struggle with that like what is my style what is my point of difference and then actually having the confidence to sort of put it out there because you're putting yourself out there when you do that you're not becoming like everyone else you're kind of saying hey I've created this thing that's a bit different like it you know do you like it well yes it's a very interesting question because I battled with it at the very beginning when I was to set up the core DNA of my brand and I wondered what how am I going to make a difference and I knew that by being extremely personal that would only be my story and I'm everybody is unique and so the minute you try to look on the right on the left at what other people do and you like something and then you sort of get inspired that's when I think you lose your spirit so I've got so many things I want to say about this question the first one is that I've never had self-confidence ever Uh, I think it's a French thing you never encourage for what makes you great you're always uh, analyzed for how bad you are in something I guess that's their way to make you improve but it also instilling you that sense that you are not very good at anything you're doing because there's so much you're not doing right and by moving to Australia I sort of um, I recovered from that it's as if they fixed me uh, every Australian will always ask you you know who you are where you come from and they'll be amazed by little details of things that they're like wow that's amazing or even I see my daughter she's seven come back from school with little stickers on her on her clothes saying you you were a champion today and I know she's not really good at reading but they will highlight how good she is at numbers and so it's a very Australian thing I think to nurture differences uniqueness and personality so thank god I think um, they taught me that way when I started I have to say my biggest question was who are you creating for are you creating for yourself to please your parents, to please your grandparents who are passed away? Are you doing this for Belinda to impress her? Because I left Belinda, she was sad, I was sad, but I wanted to prove her that I left her for a good reason. Do you create for your husband? Like who is your target audience? And at the end of the day, I thought if my grandparents who are passed away like it, that's good enough. And so my goal is to remember what they liked and and to introspect every time and to be true to that little girl that was eight, that was nurtured by her grandparents and her parents. And and I realized that all my life, my parents, every time somebody or something was different, they said, oh, different is good. 
different is very good. Or if something was wonky or half broken or, or a bit delirious or um, like people like Salvador Dali or were really um, looked up in my family. And so I knew that anything a bit strange or really close to my heart that wasn't really normal to others, that's what I had to, um, to ha tap into only what makes this different. And every time I talk about my ideas and people look at me and being like, wow, that's a bit strange, then I know it's right and I go for it. You know, the snail we have in the collection right now, at the beginning, people were like, look, if we sell five, they'll be brilliant. And at least it'll be a talking point. And we like we sold so many because people found it funny. And I think the antenna incense is so normal it's just that's what antenna should be and so i'm really trying i i don't uh, veto myself and i don't censor myself anymore if an idea is pop 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 in my mind i'm not gonna let my other little voice say this is strange or um so and so out of your friends is not gonna like it if i like it that's validated and we go with it i'm sorry that's how it works yeah yeah no, no no it's great it's fascinating to know and what about then um can you share just a little bit about your design process and like do you do get like inspirational images or like how do you work on the collections or the products that you create can you just sort of give a bit of an insight with that Look, I wish it was a bit more organized, but I'm such an intuitive person and uh, everything I do at any moment can be a source of, of inspiration. It can be a walk on the beach, a conversation with Pablo, a drawing from Lulu. But I have to say the moments I'm the most inspired are the one where I go to flea markets or antiques shop or just strolling through eBay, looking at eclectic products that are put next to each other in a very uh with no reason that in my head triggers magic um and i remember one day just looking at this booth it was this old man and on a little rug it was in france he had a dior bag next to a tractor tire next to an egg cup holder and i want my brand to almost be like a booth you know on, in an antique fair somewhere <laughs> i want because as long as you've got a thread and a storyline everything can fit in so i really don't give any limit to what i want to create but um i think just to organize my mind we've decided that once a year in july we would launch a big new collection and that means that for about six months at least i can do little drawings on my books or you know I can show you like I do things like that like little doodles and little um, you know <laughs> I do this uh, or um, and that evolves in my mind but eventually they all have to be put together for that July collection but it's a never-ending process uh, never-ending I love how it's fed by any music or movies or and I feel like I'm a sponge and I can gather all these things and then they travel in my mind and then somehow they come out and, and it all makes sense. It feels like it's already organized in my mind, but I had no idea it was. And it's only when you get it out of your head that it, you, you, you look at it with a distance because it's on a piece of paper and you think, wow, it's actually it's working okay. And even if it wasn't, I would make it work because, like I said, I like this eclectism. So that's how yeah. it works. And what about then in terms of, I know that you have um, created, like, I think you did some blankets with a French company. Like, what about that part of the business? Um, 
who actually makes your products? Because again, like we live in a world where it's never been easier to kind of, you can get stuff made in China and in Indonesia, you know, like what, what's important to you? Like you get this idea of what you want it to look like, but then the actually getting it made and who you choose to get it made, that's a huge part of the process too. And so what's your approach to that? Well, I'm an extremely friendly person and the way I approach makers, I literally Google. If I wanted a marble maker, I Google marble makers or manufacturers and I end up with a list of people to either call or email and I'm I'm a quite an easygoing and convincing person. So I guess I've got that thing for people because they they just want to help and they want to achieve my dreams as well. My approach is quite unusual because I never want discounts. I never want volume. I want these small little things. So they're happy to be on board with me because they can tell I don't have, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't have this um, consumerism obsession, even if I, I want to do something that are out of the beaten track. So let's say for the marble makers, um, again, you know, that's just, yeah, I happen to meet these uh, people who were living in the south of France and their story was incredible because they were recycling marble powder dust from Carrara in Italy and the Pyrenees in France and making product out of it. So I love the sustainability of this. And so they started making a hand and then our snail, we're working on the third product together. And they know with me, I've got time. I allow them to make things according to their own time frame and we bounce ideas, you know, the snail is based on something that um, they had in their back garden. And so I like that communion as well. It's not just me saying, can you please make this happen? It's what do you think and what do you have something similar? So we work together as a team. Um, I did the same for candles in Australia. I typed uh, perfume makers. I met with a couple and we I clicked with one of them and she's been with me with for eight years now, Rebecca. Um, and um, I've got a very gentle approach approach and they and then they check my website and they're like wow your world is a bit intriguing yeah we want to be part of it um but yeah I, I love knowing that I can visit these people that I can I can have an open conversation with them that things are made slowly by people who know what they're doing and I don't force them to do anything outside of their yeah outside of their passion um and then the blank the the throws as well in france that was my mum. she actually she was reading a french l decoration she said look at this check pattern they're amazing you should call them i said mom that's like the oldest throw makers in the world they must be so busy she said you never know so she made me write to them and they said oh Yes, we would love to because we're such an old and ancient company and your world seems so fun. We would love to do something with you. And so we were like little kids together and they allowed me to, yeah, to make their throw and we're even thinking of making special colors with them. So every time it's about sharing your dream. Or, or actually when I did the lobster, I don't know if you remember, I did the lobster, ceramic lobster that had matches in it years ago and again i read about the one page biography in another french decoration magazine talking about her because she was living in paris in an advertising company and she just wanted a sea change like me and she so she uh, moved to that little village where there was this huge ceramic factory that was not um, alive anymore and she offered the mayor to start the machines again and 
you know, wipe the dust off all the, the lines and, and resuscitate that factory. And so it was a single-handed mission by this woman who I felt very connected to. So I called her and she said, oh, wow, a lobster? Yes, we've done rabbits, we've done hare, we've done ducks, we've never done a lobster. I'm with you. And then suddenly I had Digwan, you know, making 50 dark blue lobsters for me. And so... I, I I don't know how, but I always manage to convince people to come in my dream world and have a little p piece of the road together. And uh, that's how I create these collaboration. It certainly seems so that it's important to you that these people are makers. It's not just mass production, but it's it's really sort of dealing with artisans. And it's not necessarily tied to a specific country but it's it's about the relationship with the maker would you say that's true then absolutely yeah okay so can you tell me then a little bit about um your process like your sort of daily process or weekly process so obviously you're creating but you're also running a business a team of 12 you're doing interviews like this like how like what works for you in terms of how you schedule your time um yeah, can you give a little bit of an insight into like your daily work life or life? Yeah, well, on top of all of that, I'm a mother. And so I feel like my days really revolve around uh, her, around my daughter. So I drop her off at school at 8.30 and then, and then I, by the time I get to work, it's nine. That's the start of my day. And I know I've got up to five maximum to fit everything in it. And and then I have to say that in the, in the day, it's a bombardment of uh, things coming from every angle and having... What impresses me is the amount of small decisions one have to take every day. And every decision can make you go right or left or, or go backwards or forward. And But if you think about it, then it becomes stressful. And I do all of that in a very natural and effortless way because now I've learned to tap into my intuition and my little voice and I rely a lot, a lot on her. Um, but yeah, between nine and five, it can be anything and everything at any time I have to say. And um, it's like a firework. It goes in every direction, but I wouldn't have it any other way because I always felt in my previous jobs, they were a bit limited by my position. But here I've got all the position at the same time. And that I absolutely, because I'm such a multitasker as well, I really enjoy being, yeah, responding to, answering an interview one minute, having to finalize a drawing for a new carafe the second after, then having a salary review, you know, 10 minutes later, and then trying to negotiate a lease agreement because we're looking to find a new bigger warehouse. And I feel like sometimes I'm not good at anything, but I'm giving it a go at everything and it always works out so somehow you know it's, it's working out <laughs> that's great and I have to ask you so is Pablo involved in your business so Pablo being your husband who's he's an industrial designer isn't he that's his background so is he like does he help you is does he work in the business and then does he help you or do you kind of say no leave me alone I this is my baby and I kind of want to make the decisions in terms of the designs well, yes, yeah, so Pablo is an industrial designer and he works full time, not for my business. So he's not part of the team. However, there isn't one day before or after work when I don't uh, call him for advice. He's really good advice because 
he gets what my world is about. He's got my interest at heart. And if it was, wasn't for Pablo, I wouldn't have started Maison Barzac. He actually pushed me to do it. He said, stop talking about it, just do it. And he got me my first wax melter, my first perfume blend. And he said, tonight you're making your first candle. And I think three months later, I was launching Maison Barzac. So yeah, and his mind works very differently to mine. So it's always nice to bounce back ideas. He can really visualize abstract things in his head and I'm more a tactile or visual person. So we complement each other and he loves his involvement. However, sometimes he can give me advice that I don't like. And I say, you know what, ultimately it's my call. So thanks for your advice, but I'm not going to go with it. And I am quite stubborn and, and it's all right. He's very easygoing. So, but it's working well that way. Okay, and I'm going to ask you um, a question about your home, because when we met, we obviously were at your home in France. So then I think it must have happened quite a short time afterwards, your decision to move back to Australia. So I'm going to let everyone read your story of creating your French home in the book. But can you just share this experience of having your heart um, in sort of two countries and and the decision to move back to Australia and, and where you're at right now with all of that? Mm -hmm. So... I moved to France because I had been in Australia for maybe for four, uh, 12 or 14 years and I felt like it was such a long time. At that point in time, I could either go back to France or stay in Australia forever. And the word forever is very scary for me. I, I don't like anything to com committing. I like to be flexible. So it's like, okay, no, I don't want Australia to be forever because I'm French. So let's go back to France. And I was lucky Pablo was happy to dive into the adventure with me. And and so for two years, we had this amazing life next to my parents, next to the village where I grew up. And I needed to get that out of my system. Otherwise, I would have regretted it all my life. I gave it a go. But that experience was equally beautiful as painful because to have my heart in two countries was the most difficult thing I've ever done. It was extremely um exhausting on my mental health I have to say I was going mad uh, trying to it's like schizophrenia you schizophrenic your mind your mind is two people at the same time and you going from one to the other it's truly exhausting and I've always loved David Lynch movie not knowing why but he's all about you know your mind being split and you 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 think the reality is real but you're actually in a dream and I felt like I was in a, the hero of a David Lynch movie <laughs> Suddenly, which was quite scary. Um, but yeah, the relentlessness of the time zone, you it's always day somewhere. It was always day in Australia when it was night in France and vice versa. So the guilt as well to not be where I should be in Australia. And when I'm in Australia, the guilt to feel like I was away from France. So at some stage, I had to face the reality and realize that actually at, the, at that, that moment in my life at 42, with a husband, a daughter, and a thriving business, the place to be is Australia. This is the country that makes me happy. This is the country that uh, made me able to create and to have success. I doubt very much I would have that success and reach if I were based in France. I actually tried to start the business, the Maison Barzac business, to have a branch in France, and it was so difficult. Everything was going against it, even my intuition. So I had to make that call, which made my parents very sad, but I decided to go. Um, and I think, Natalie, that when you came, you, you, you're really good at asking the right questions. 
question and you made me question why I was doing things. And so you were part of my journey as well to, to deep, to dive deep down on the real reason to do and everything I was doing. And you made me realize that really it was too young basically to go back to France. And I, I, I think that uh, later in my life when I retire, France might be the place where I will finish my life, but there is too much going for me here. That's where I wanted to be. So I decided that a year and a half ago and I made it in, I put it in action extremely quickly. So now the, yeah, the French house, sold to beautiful people who totally fell in love with it in a second couldn't read the makers behind it the makers are pablo and i and they are identical to us plus 20 years so they could see themselves in us so the house has found the next um how do you say the next keeper the next lover that's gonna look after the house for so many years and so now we're about to embark in a new story with a new home to open the third chapter of our life the first was the church we had that you know the second was the french house and then the third will be in australia again so we're super excited about opening up that new chapter I can't wait to see it. Hopefully I'll get to see it at some point. So that'll be exciting. (laughs) Um, Okay, I've got one last, sorry, I I lied. I've got one last question and then we've got a few quick questions for you. Um, Now, one of the questions that a lot of people ask me and struggle with is how to use Instagram and how to show Mm -hmm. up on Instagram. And Mm -hmm. I wanted to get your perspective on that because you – you very much use your your Maison Balzac as your kind of business account and then you've got a personal account. I mean, some people say you should have more personal or not, or, you know, there's so many different strategies and pro- approaches. So I guess what's your take on that and how do you choose to share on, on your Instagram feed for your business? And connect, because mm. I, I guess that's one of the big things you said was that, you know, you've managed to uh, find a community of like-minded people around the world that have fallen in love with your products. And I'm sure that Instagram has been a big part of that journey. Oh, yeah. Instagram is basically the only uh, tool I used for eight years to get my brand out there. I've never purchased advertising in magazine or online or Google or I've never um, purposely had a um, marketing strategy or a communication uh, goal. It all happened organically on Instagram. I've all pretty much all our online sales as well come from not all, but it's a big part come from Instagram. I feel like it's the most amazing small window on who you are. I love the format. I love how quick it is. Um, and so I, I, I'm, I'm really not an expert in it, but I thought again, if I do it my way, with my little, you know, we've got two dots at the beginning and at the end. So when people scroll down, I feel like when they see the dots, they know it's me speaking. <laughs> so it's it's small, but it's little things that make it uh, mine. Um, but then with everything is going on in the business, then I actually had to delegate this a little bit. And I've got the most amazing little fairy doing this for, for me. She's in-house. Her name is Sarah. And she completely, she read so many of my posts and, and she's in the business, you know, all the time. So she's become my other voice. And so together we actually now create imagery and stories. And so I've now have got support. But for since Instagram was created until a year ago, it was just um, my voice doing it a bit randomly. And now we want it to be 
yeah, showing the collection a bit in a in a way that is a bit more organized and a bit true to exactly what I want to say because I want to say so much. Sometimes I lose things along the way, but she remembers everything and she said, you know, when you told me that and then you told me that. So she's like my my second memory, my second brain, and she makes sure all the messages messages are come across and not just some of it because I'm too busy to say it all. <laughs> so yeah, she that's that's my approach to Instagram is to it's still my voice, but someone who organizes it in a way that the audience deserve to yeah to hear everything i think we all need a sarah it sounds like (laughs) (laughs) all right all right i've got some questions for you it's just like a quick q a and um yeah just whatever kind of comes to mind so which five words best describe you yeah uh, so, I th- I th- yeah, my five words would be determined, passionate, generous, intuitive, and a dreamer. Okay. I can see all of that. <laughs> What's the best life or career lesson you've learned? Well, the best one was to always follow my gut feeling and always listen to my inner voice, always. What's your proudest career achievement? Well, my proudest happened at the very beginning, and that was to have my collection sold at the Colette Boutique in Paris uh, until they closed down. And to have them carrying the range is, yeah, was incredible, still is. Yeah. What's been your best decision? I think my best decision to date has been to diversify my product to to follow my voice and to apply my taste on random categories not just candles. Yeah. And who inspires you? So the my biggest in, inspiration comes from my grandparents and my parents. That's the base. And then secondly would be Jean Cocteau. I adore everything about that man, everything, his style, his taste, his way to connect with all the creatives. His life is pretty incredible. And I think my other source of inspiration are the friends that I'm lucky enough to call friends around me. And I only have a a few names that I have to say. It's Robin, Christelle, Claire, Nicola, and and my daughter Lulu as well is my is a really big inspiration for me. And what are you passionate about? My number one is nature, and then I realize I love symmetry. Um, I love Inspector Colombo, um, and and then in terms of values, I love fairness, and I love sugary things, sweets <laughs> and cake. <laughs> What dream do you still want to fulfill? I've got so many. Uh, The first one would be to live with my parents again one day. I had a taste of it and I want more. Uh, Then one day I would love to buy a small castle in Spain and restore it and you'll be invited. Um, I would love to sail around the world with Pablo and Lulu for 12 months and... um, yeah, free-spirited. And then um, I would love to open a, a boutique, a Maison Barzac boutique, where all the products can be found in one place in the craziest uh, outfitting. Uh, 
Yeah. I'm sure that's probably going to happen sooner rather than later. <laughs> That'll be great to see. Um, what are you reading at the moment? I'm reading that book that I imported from France. It's the biography of Charles Baudelaire, who wrote The Flower of the Bad. And he was uh, an incredible poet, but he was an awful character. Awful. He was despicable. And I love people who've got dichotomy like this, who are opposites, who are not what you think they are. So, yeah, I'm really enjoying that biography. Oh, interesting. And what are you listening to at the moment? Do you listen to any podcasts or otherwise what sort of music do you like to listen to if you listen to music? Yeah, I'm a big fan of FIP. It's a French radio, so it spells F-I-P, and you can um, it, it goes live. So any moment of the daylight in Australia, it's night for FIP, so there is way less advertising, and it's a very eclectic uh, playlist, so I recommend anyone to press play on FIP any time of the day and they also have really good little news and I heard one day that the speaker the voices had to carry a smile in it so the way they talk is so soothing and so happy just that is enough I love it fip all the time <laughs> that's that's so great I have to listen to it um now yeah. and finally what piece of advice would you give to your younger self I would say to myself, stop pleasing others before yourself. That is so good. <laughs> Thank you so much, Elise. It's been so nice to, to kind of catch up with you, albeit briefly, but um, I'm so impressed with what you've created with Maison Balzac. It feels like since you returned to Australia, it's just mm. blossomed. I yeah, and, and maybe, you know, kind of, I guess, going back to the book, this idea of still, and maybe by you actually taking that time out, that actually allowed you that clarity and that vision and laid the foundations in many ways for what's happened. And I'm also a big believer that I think so many of us, and I know that this is something that I've struggled with in the past, is that, you know, sometimes I sort of I used to regret things that happened in my life, like, oh, that was a waste of time, or why did I do that? Or, you know, thinking, but I think that in many ways, things happen for a reason. And I think that that chapter is something that happened to you for a reason. And even if it yeah. felt a bit David Lynch-esque, I think that, you know, obviously there were really good lessons that came out of it. And um, yeah, so. Absolutely. And like you said, you know, that stillness that you you focused on and you made me think about, was a necessary step and it's actually it's going to be with me forever and just um, some days that are crazier than others I force myself to actually stay still for five minutes the other day I arrived home earlier than Pablo and Lulu I was on my chair and I looked at the clouds passing by and shape in and changing shape for five minutes and I thought of you every time I think of still I think of you and the cover of the book and and it's I think everybody should allow stillness um, uh, five minutes a week and it helped me be where I am today so thank you and thank you so much for making me speak for an hour I love it <laughs> <laughs> oh that's so good all right well thank you once again and um, we'll connect again soon okay bye Natalie thank you bye. thank you <laughs> Ciao. All right, everyone, I hope that you've enjoyed this interview and learning more about Elise's creative journey. And don't forget that if you'd like to receive your copy of the free book on how to create a home that you truly love, just go to nataliewalton.com. 
Also, if you haven't done so already, can you please take a moment to subscribe, rate and review this podcast? It really does help get the word out to other people who also might find it helpful. You'll find show notes for this episode at nataliewalton.com forward slash podcast forward slash 33, including links to the book Still, The Slow Home, which obviously Elise's home features in, and also to her own business, Mason Bolzac, and details about her. Thank you to Jaeger Media for producing this podcast and the people of the Bunjalong Nation where it was recorded. I look forward to connecting again soon. I'm Natalie Walton, and you've been listening to Imprint.